In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, we're talking about the Bitcoin ETF. More specifically, we're talking about what it's going to do to the price of Bitcoin. The thing everyone is so curious about, everyone is speculating about. Uh, can we compare it as well to gold, a historical ETF from the good old early 2000s? How do those two things compare? And what are we really, really going to expect out of a Bitcoin ETF? I also want to talk about some interesting stuff around Ethereum. People have been asking me this question for a while about Ethereum's risk and whether it's at risk of losing its dominance. So we're going to talk about that. And then I'll touch on a couple of questions from the community that I received yesterday in my call for questions. So pour yourself a quick cup of coffee. If it's too late for coffee, pour yourself a whiskey, wine, beer, tea, whatever you're into. Just have a drink and hang out with me. Oh, and by the way, please don't forget to subscribe. I'm back in the driver's seat here making some content. So it really helps the channel for you to hit subscribe so you're notified whenever I make crypto content. And I make content for crypto critical thinkers, people who want to understand the bull case, the bear case, and everything in between. Uh, so make sure you hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. So let's talk Bitcoin ETF, the hottest topic of this current era of crypto right now. Everyone's got their opinions about it, so I will share with you mine and how I've been analyzing this, how I've been sort of preparing myself and posturing myself for this potentiality. The first thing we should talk about is the likelihood of approval for the Bitcoin ETF. I think there's a very high likelihood of approval. I don't think necessarily we could say, oh, it's in the bag, it's a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee in life. There is still a small percentage chance, I would probably say single-digit percentage chance, that the ETF is rejected on technicality to begin with, and this sort of initial, I think, January 10th deadline to be then approved again or approved later, like in the next cycle, that's possible, though unlikely. I don't think the SEC has any leg to stand on in calling Bitcoin anything but a commodity. And I think if you've followed the filings from BlackRock, Fidelities, et cetera, they're kind of playing ball and they're doing exactly what you would expect them to do to get this approved. So that's my thought there. Very likely the Bitcoin ETF gets approved. So we put that aside, okay? Over the last, I would say three, maybe five years, there's been all this speculation, all this hype. We need a Bitcoin ETF. We need to have a Bitcoin ETF. And the reason people want one, and let's not mince words here, is because they want the number to go up. They believe, people believe that you approve a Bitcoin spot ETF, institutions, retail, retirement funds, everybody, piles into Bitcoin and we make a lot of money, okay? And sure, I think that's probably a reasonable assumption to make. But I want to maybe temper expectations a little bit about what that actually looks like and the trade-offs that you make to get there. So first, let's think about a Bitcoin ETF and let's compare it to probably the most comparable ETF that we've had in the past. And that would be the gold ETF. So gold and Bitcoin, how are they similar? Gold and Bitcoin are actually eerily similar. Gold and Bitcoin are both scarce assets that are sort of apolitical in nature. You could debate that, but in their construction, they're apolitical in nature. Human beings politicize stuff, not the actual asset itself. They are uh, sovereign assets, meaning they're not sort of aligned to one specific nation state or one political thought. They are also assets that people buy or that people 
by in the expectation that they become a store of value. They protect people against inflation and macroeconomic disaster, etc. So in a lot of ways, Bitcoin and gold are very similar, all the way down to the element of finite supply. Now, gold, we'll talk about in a second. You can debate that part as well. Put that to one side for a second. Gold had an ETF circa 2004. This product was released for a variety of reasons, but there was demand for, for gold amongst various different populations. And there's a reason why an ETF makes sense, because an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, allows institutions and retirement funds, people, to get access to an asset without having to physically own or hold the actual underlying asset. So you can think about Bitcoin and gold again by their similarities. Gold, gold bars, gold coins, is a physical item. People who wanted to buy gold and invest in gold, especially in large quantity, had to not only find a way to get it, which got easier over time, as Bitcoin has gotten easier to get over time because of Coinbase, etc. But you also need a place to store it. So you need to be able to store it safely in your home, protect it from theft, protect it from damage, protect it from tarnish. It needed to be taken care of. It needed to be custodied. And while Bitcoin does not take up finite space, it's not a physical item, people are daunted by self-custody. People lose their Bitcoin because they lose their seed phrase. They lose their wallet. They make a mistake and they give it up to a hacker. There's all sorts of ways people lose their Bitcoin every single day. And even experts do. People who know what they're doing do. So there's a reason why people are daunted by it. And you and me, we may self-custody and have no problem. That's great for us. But for the average person, it's not as easy as it seems. So we think about why those things are similar. We understand why those things are similar. We understand why a Bitcoin ETF makes sense. We understand why a gold ETF makes sense. Get exposure to the asset without having to have any responsibility for the actual asset itself. Okay? Makes sense. Gold, the gold ETF in 2004, had a specific effect on the gold price, which you would expect. The gold price went up. Now, there's other things that were in play at that time, right? You had war at that time. Okay? That matters. Okay, great. But what you had is a 300% give or take, probably 250 to 300% gain in gold price from the ETF all the way through to, I think, six years later, okay? Now, this is off the top of my head, so if people want to correct the numbers, please feel free. You can't always correlate exactly those two things. The ETF was the only reason the price of gold went up. Just the same as we could not say for Bitcoin if the price goes up that the ETF is the only reason the price goes up. It's a factor. People then say, well, so Bitcoin's probably going to do the same thing. And I would challenge you and say this. If you tell the average person who owns Bitcoin, who loves Bitcoin, you say Bitcoin's going to go from 42K in January 2024, spot Bitcoin ETFs approved, and then by 2030, Bitcoin is 150K. Do you think they're going to be stoked about that? I don't. I think they're going to be disappointed. I think that people are not going to be pleased with even that comparison. People believe that Bitcoin is going to do face-melting 3x in the first two weeks of the ETF. At least that's what it seems like online. And I'm exaggerating, but the reality is people are really excited about this. And I think maybe excited to an unrealistic degree. There's one advantage gold had over Bitcoin in terms of an ETF launch. 
And that is, it was a known commodity, literally and figuratively. Gold has been around for centuries. People know it, they trust it, they, they have been exposed to it throughout their lives very likely. And you were, they were born into an era, they were born into a reality where gold was revered for its value. Bitcoin is not like that. If you find maybe the, let's just be optimistic, let's say 25% of people in the world know about Bitcoin. They, they just know of it. They've heard of it. They kind of get it in terms of like, oh, it's a digital asset, right? Like that's it. And that's being generous. I don't even think it's that many. Let's just say amongst those people, you say is Bitcoin inherently valuable? I think that a small fraction of people will say yes. A small fraction. Because there's so many people, not only who don't understand Bitcoin at all, people have not even heard of it. And then also of the people who have heard of it, there are people who have huge misconceptions about what it is, why it matters, why it's valuable. And they've been probably influenced and rightly so by all the crazy stuff that's happened over the last few years that's been widely publicized about how dangerous Bitcoin and crypto is, okay? So the appetite amongst retail may not be as voracious as we thought. The appetite amongst institutions may not be as voracious as we think it is. The exposure in 401ks and pensions and stuff may not be as big as we think on day one. What is going to happen is the sales machine, the institutional sales machine is going to rev up and they are going to start selling Bitcoin. They're going to start educating about Bitcoin. Whether we agree with what they're saying and their education is another story. But that is where you're going to start to see it, things happen. So what I mean is, and what I'm trying to say with all of this is that you should quell your expectations about a Bitcoin ETF. I actually think that a lot of the value that we're going to get from an ETF in the short term, okay, let's be clear, in the short term has already been priced in. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's kind of been validated by the last week's price action. There was this rumor floating around that was convincing that the Bitcoin ETF was going to be rejected. What happens? The crypto markets sell off big. Bitcoin sells off big. You can tell people are positioned speculatively. You can tell people are levering because they want to get exposure to a Bitcoin spot ETF. And it makes sense. I get it. The problem is, is that things don't always work out exactly how we like them to. And things are not always like this. It's often like this in crypto. Just look at a chart. And so I don't want people to say this is a guaranteed win. And if I just buy Bitcoin right this very second, that in six months time, I'm going to be rich beyond my wildest dreams. Because that is not how things work, to be quite honest with you. Institutions want to make a profit. They're going to be sellers. People who are positioned in Bitcoin speculatively, they're going to be sellers. So if we see price going up, there will be sellers along the way. So it's not Bitcoin spot ETF 10x, Bitcoin spot ETF 2x. It's good for Bitcoin's price. There's no question about it. I think in the fullness of time, a year from now, a year and a half from now, we're going to look back and be like, wow, Bitcoin at 40k, a steal, incredible deal. Should have been a buyer at that price. Great. I agree with that. But I just think that we need to be cognizant of the the difference between the game we were playing before now with huge multi-trillion dollar asset managers involved in this space, which is a whole nother beast in and of itself that we are not prepared for, that we have not seen before in this market, totally different ball game now. So all of our predictive models from the past do not work now, at least until we can revalidate that they work. 
So all of this to say, Bitcoin spot ETF, good for Bitcoin's price. Quell your expectations about what happens day one in the first couple weeks, etc. See how things shake out. I'm a holder, so I'm not super worried about it because I've been a holder. I will remain a holder regardless of what happens here. But for those of you who are thinking in your mind, oh, I'm going to FOMO in right this very second with everything I've got because it's a guaranteed win. Nothing's a guaranteed win. It's as simple as that. So I believe the spot ETF is going to happen. It's going to be good for Bitcoin's price, but I think that we're going to have to see how good it's going to be in the short term, but in the mid to long term, probably a pretty darn good thing. Okay, so that's my Bitcoin spot ETF spiel there. Let me know in the comments if you're if you're in agreement with me or you disagree and tell me exactly where you disagree if so. So I got a couple questions that I want to answer. The first one is one that I talked about before um, in the early part of the episode about Ethereum. I've been getting a lot of questions from people because as people know, I sort of was brought up in the Ethereum space in many ways. Um, I learned a lot about this space through Ethereum. That's where I started building things as a developer. That's a lot of the work that I did early on in my journey in this space because in, in Bitcoin, right, it's you're a holder, you're a believer, you understand it, but you, you couldn't really build much there except for wallets. I wasn't really interested in building wallets or utilities on Bitcoin. Call me crazy. People have been asking me whether Ethereum's day is done and if it will ever break 20% market dominance again in this sort of broad L1 space. Um, and I have some thoughts on that. This was actually from DB Crypto X, big Elrond, uh, well, formerly Elrond, now um, Multiverse X fan, um, which I like as well. Okay, that's no secret. Here's the challenge that I have with Ethereum. Ethereum has, I believe, the correct set of steps ahead of it in order to get to where it needs to be from a scalability perspective and from a modularity perspective. I think the technical roadmap is correct. I think it will take arguably too long to execute, just given how fast the space is moving and given how many competitors there are that have started to establish that you don't have to give up that much by moving from Ethereum to these. However, if we talk about market dominance, Ethereum itself, by its very design change, probably had reserved itself to giving up some of that market dominance by distributing some of its market share to its L2 components. So we have to decide whether we're factoring, is it just simple L1 volume compared to other, excuse me, other L1 volume, or are we comparing ecosystem volume to ecosystem volume in this market dominance percentage chart, right? So without an answer to that, I will continue, but just so you have that caveat, I'm kind of speaking from a place of limited clarity on what actually we're comparing. But let's just talk about Ethereum in general and as it compares to the other layer ones out there. You've got, I would say, probably 20 other L1s that are meaningfully competitive from a technical perspective. And there's a lot of other different projects that are building different sections or subsets of technology that are competing. You have the Multiverse X, you've got the, of course, Solanas of the world, you've got uh, Cardano, you've got all these different things, these different L1s out there that are competing. 
And when I look at the user experience piece and I look at the fee piece, which I guess is part of user experience, that's where Ethereum is going to have a really tough time in this, this bull market, especially if it's driven by retail. Because retail wants low fees, they want immediate gratification. Ethereum today does not offer that. On the layer two, yeah, it does, sure. But will people go through those hurdles to get to the layer two? Eh, I'm not convinced. So that's the biggest challenge for Ethereum right now. And that's where other competitors are going to likely take market share. Does that mean Ethereum dies? No, I actually don't. I think what it means is that Ethereum is going to be the most meaningfully challenged for liquidity, for users, for volume than it ever has been in the past. This is the year for the L1 wars to be fought and to be won by a select few. I do not believe we're going to be a single L1 to rule them all uh, ecosystem. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I do think we will have a consolidation of L1s this year. So to answer the question, bottom line, do I think Ethereum, agree or disagree, Ethereum will never again break 20% market dominance. I would say I disagree with that because I think that there's a big potentiality that things don't settle out and shake out before Ethereum's roadmap is complete. But it could happen. So if I had to give a my true answer, it would be possibly. But if I have to agree or disagree, I would say I disagree that it will never break 20% because I think that there's a lot of dilu dilution in market dominance right now. And there's going to be like five L1s that survive and thrive. And I think Ethereum will be one of those. But that's just my opinion. Let's see. What are the chains with the best, quote unquote, real development on it? Infrastructure and dApps. And this kind of goes to this question is from Fu Understand. I really hope I'm not blowing the name. But anyways, this is kind of going back to what I just talked about with Ethereum is that that's one of the benefits of Ethereum, to be quite honest with you, is that there's a lot of infrastructure development. There are a lot of there's a lot of dApp development and you can really point to it being legitimate. Um, I would say Cardano is another one where there is a lot of development. Not all of it has been as fruitful as, as one would have wanted. Big reason why I've been drawn to Cardano in the first place is because of that builder focused environment, building things properly, not quickly. There's something to be said for that. Um, in the past, there's been concern around like faked development in different L1 chains and other projects in general, even dApps where People look at commits on GitHub. The dumbest possible thing to look at is the worst metric on earth in terms of looking at the development activity. So whenever I see someone ranking projects by GitHub commits, I just want to throw up because commits do not equal development. Commits do not equal quality of development. You need to be looking at the actual quality of code, where they are committing code to and how good that code is who is developing? Who is making those commits? Is it documentation commits or is it core code commits to the protocol? Is there a concerted technical roadmap and vision in place or not? So here's the thing. Solana, a project I've been very, very critical of over the path in the past, and in my opinion, rightly so. If they start really focusing development on 
stability and reliability of the protocol. So no more going down anymore, right? No more complete network failure. And they allocate development resources to that. And that's where their commits are going. That's better, in my opinion, than them doing 40 times the number of commits, but having no focused vision or roadmap for what they're trying to accomplish. And that's what a lot of projects do is they're just making commits, they're making progress on a bunch of little things, and they don't actually culminate in anything. So it's not about the commits. It's not about the activity. It's about what's being built, how well is it being built, and in many ways, by whom, okay? So I know there was an ask of like, what are the chains? I'll do you one better. Let me do some more digging because I haven't really been looking so much at GitHub lately because it's just kind of boring to be honest with you, but I'll go back and look and I'll see where a lot of the building is, is being done outside of the few projects that I am tracking. And we'll come back to that one in terms of specific names. Uh, so here's one from Macfisto 27. I've always been of the opinion that this space needs its quote unquote iPhone moment, a project or utility that transcends demographics and becomes somewhat ubiquitous, whether the user is cognizant of it or not. Are there any projects you feel can break through? If so, any time frame. So this is less so about a specific project and more so about a Trojan horse for the adoption of crypto in general. And it's funny, I saw another question up here from Proto Man, which kind of goes with this. So I'm going to read it out as well. If not for speculative trading, is there a dapper utility currently in the space that would entice a normie, someone who's not familiar with this space, to learn about and use cryptocurrency? If so, what is it? So that's what I want to talk about, actually, is there are a couple of things that I think will bring the average person into this space. Actually, there are two, but I might delve into a third. The first one is one that not everyone may agree with, and it's not the most sexy thing in the world, but it's stable coins, okay? There's been a massive volume of stablecoin usage, even in the bear market in the last year, 2023, that makes me really believe that stablecoin use is going to be a um, harbinger for crypto adoption. And the reason that I feel that way is because people are not going to just be like, oh, I get crypto, no more fiat currency for me. Not going to use dollars anymore not going to use whatever your fiat currency is. I just don't think that's going to be how it is. I know a lot of average people, okay? I know a lot of the everyday people who are open to crypto but are not going to turn their lives upside down to adopt it. So stable coins are sort of that, that bridge to get there. It's the, I'm going to transact in a stable, predictable, dollar-for-dollar dollar cryptocurrency, and I'm going to see the benefits of using a blockchain for payments. I'm gonna see the benefits of getting exposure to this asset class. All of that, great. That is one way people get into the mix. So I think stable coins in 2024 are gonna be a major topic of conversation. Not all in a good way, but to be honest with you, I think that's one sort of utility, we could call it, that people are going to be interested in. The second one is gaming. And there's a, a lot of risk in, in the gaming space because the bar is so low. People were raising ridiculous amounts of money in the last bull market to build things that were not only unattainable, but frankly, were just stupid. So gaming, okay, let's take with a grain of salt. Not every game needs crypto. Not every game needs digital assets, but the sum of them would really benefit from it. It's the builders 
that create immersive worlds, that create in-game economies that transcend just one single title, where you're creating a game that sort of lives on its own, a almost like a community-built game. That sounds a little bit utopian, because it is, but we're talking more so a game that takes a life of its own. And I think that is another way that the average person gets exposed to crypto. V-Bucks in Fortnite, skins in Fortnite, weapons in Fortnite, all that stuff, right? Naturally, you see people having demand to buy things in-game. In this case, for literally virtual currency and virtual items that they have no ownership of and can be taken from them at any time, at any time, right? And Fortnite's cool, whatever, I get it. That just shows that there's demand amongst a bit, a pretty large generation of people for this. And I think the younger generations that are now coming in to their own and have grown up with the digital world and are comfortable in that digital world, it's only going to get more and more prevalent, the demand for these things. So I think gaming is another one that introduces this space. Buying your first in-game assets with a Bitcoin or, or with Ether, whatever you want, with a stable coin, right? To tie it back to the first example. So I think those are the two big ones. Those are the two big ones that are that come to mind right now that I think will make sense and will bring adoption for crypto. The iPhone moment, if you will, making it broadly accessible for everyone in a package that they're already somewhat familiar with. So that's my thought. Uh, this is a, a question about coffee. Okay, so if you don't want to listen to it, just skip ahead. There's going to be like little um, timestamps in the description and in the little play bar. What kind of coffee are we drinking? And what's the one upgrade to your setup that I would make with 2000 ADA, my coffee setup? So coffee that I'm drinking today is an Ethiopian coffee. I'm a big fan of African coffees personally. Um, this one is from Red Rooster, which is a roaster that I uh, that's very near and dear to my heart. And if I could make one upgrade to my setup with 2000 ADA, eh, that's pretty tough. I would probably just go buy a few different uh, filter brewers. Like uh, I would buy a glass Aurea brewer. I would buy another MK dripper. And then I'd probably buy one of those new arrow presses, the big ones, so I can make bigger brews. Just buy a few brewers and experiment with those. So coffee question, check. All right, let's see. Uh, here's a good one. This is from uh, Jason. Is D-PIN a thing or is it just hype? So this is decentralized physical infrastructure, I believe. And so this is like projects that serve internet or projects that serve compute or projects that basically it's infrastructure with a decentralized mechanism. And this is one that I... I wanted to fit into the last video about bull run narratives but it just I couldn't get it to fit in there time wise uh, and i was also really speaking just completely off the cuff so i can't always think of everything when i'm doing that so i'll make a follow-up dpin is one that again i think people need to exercise caution with because there is a, a huge elephant in the room on dpin which is that there's there's hardware involved right there's very complex economies involved in that and to organize like a decentralized network is not easy to organize a decentralized network for 
like GPU rendering where the economics work out and to prevent all forms of different economic and um, economic attacks, really not easy to do. So I would say there's a good bit of risk involved. And I would also look to see, does this D-PIN Project X I'm looking at need a token? Because not every single project in the world needs a token. And not every project is designed that's designed properly from a technology perspective can also be designed to accrue value to the token. Um, you know, I, I had that realization with something like Chainlink, which was is adopted by heck a huge proportion of the whole market, and the 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 token just kind of it does it does well. It's okay, but it's not like face melting. Oh, eat the coins a thousand a thousand dollars a piece, right? Because it's not designed to. It's a utility. It's it's designed to be utilitarian, and you can't always be utilitarian and do your utility thing well, and have a token that goes to thousands of dollars. Okay, <laughs> like that that is the thing that I find somewhat difficult. Now, I think DPIN is an inevitability because there's demand for it. People want decentralized utilities, and I think some projects even that were hated for a long time, uh, like Helium, for example, have started to kind of. Get some traction. Uh, World Mobile Token, uh, WMT that's building in the Cardano space. Also starting to get some traction, getting some attention. Um, and there, there are a ton of different names. I'm not naming tokens for you to go buy them. Please don't. My point is, is that this is something definitely to watch. It's very hyped right now as a bull market narrative, but I think that there's a good reason for that. I would just say exercise caution. This is in, so in crypto, I, I always like to say, Exercise caution everywhere, but exercise extreme caution in certain areas. And I think it's areas where it's brand new, it's untested, figuring things out, or if it's a narrative, just be very careful is my main point and spend double the time researching these projects and how they're supposed to function and be critical in your evaluation of it. Like does the token naturally come to a place where it accrues in value if the protocol is working the way it's supposed to? That's a big question to answer. So let me look at where we're at on time. Yeah, we're about half hour already. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy how time flies, which is usually the target for this show. So I'm actually going to call it a day there. I'm not going to answer another question because I know me. I'll start rambling and then we'll be at 40 minutes and I'll be mad. So here's the deal. I uh, want to thank you very much for watching Crypto Over Coffee. Thanks for stopping by again. And I hope you had a wonderful holidays with your family. If you are interested in what to expect out of a bull market, I did make a really cool video about bull market narratives that I'm watching and a couple to avoid. So I'll leave that video linked up here on the screen if you are interested to go ahead and check that one out. And uh, I'm going to see if uh, if you're watching this on X or you're listening to this in the podcast, um, Shoot, you know, send me a tweet or a post on X and let me know. I'm trying to figure out where I want to post these things going forward. Uh, YouTube, of course, but I might start posting on X and on the podcast again. So thanks very much. Hope you have a great one. And as always, cheers.